Welcome to the December 2023 episode of RCV Clips, our podcast about all things ranked choice voting. I'm Kelly. And I'm Chris, and we're the hosts of RCV Clips. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the RCV implementations in 2023 and what to expect moving forward. But first, Chris, it's great to be back on again with you this month as we discuss this topic. This is two times in a row, man. Pretty wild. I know you're going to be asking me a lot of questions today. So before you start barraging me, I've got one for you. I'm curious, can you give the listeners a saguaro fact to kick us off? Oh, I think that's great. Um, well, we'll let you know why, listeners, in just a minute, why we're using the saguaro facts. But if you don't know what a saguaro is, it's a very large cactus. And the interesting fact is that it only grows in the Sonoran Desert, which is sort of the lower half of Arizona, and then right about two-thirds of the, the first state in Mexico. So um, this only place in the world. And I'll add another interesting fact to that. I live in Wilmington, North Carolina. And that's the only place in the world that Venus flytraps, plants that actually eat flies, grow. Nowhere else in the world is it natural. If you see a Venus flytrap, somebody has gotten it from Wilmington, North Carolina. Interesting facts about U.S. plant growth. <laughs> plant facts. <laughs> this is a plant podcast now. Yes, we are, we are changing the topic to plants. Um, we could be nerdy about that too, but um, election nerds. We got to move forward with that today. Before we dig into the actual RCV implementations, let's actually now talk about last week and why we're talking about saguaro cactuses and maybe even Frank Lloyd Wright's Taliesin West home. What did we do last week, Chris? Uh, so last week was our now second ever staff and board retreat. The whole staff and, and board of the Ranchers Footing Resource Center gathered together in Phoenix, Arizona for uh, a week-long retreat where we just spent some time, one, getting to know each other. You know, we've, all the staff, we work together pretty closely and regularly we know each other, but the board members aren't here on a day-to-day basis. So it was great to get, to spend a lot of time with them, especially to get to know some of our new board members who just joined in the last few months. And then we also, you know, spent some time doing strategic planning and talking about the direction of the organization, how we're organizing our work, what our goals are, what we want to do, how we're going to get there together. It was it was great. And after that, Kelly and I went to Saguaro National Park and learned so much about saguaro and cactuses and how much water they hold in their bodies, which is a lot. We sure did. One other thing I wanted to mention, we also talked a lot about how we're going to fund this work that we're doing. So we'll talk more about that at the end of the podcast. <laughs> I always have to throw a little plug in since um, I work in the fundraising side of our nonprofit. New RCV implementations. What can you tell us about that in 2023? What happened this year? Yeah, so two places implemented RCV for the very first time this year. That's Arlington, Virginia, and Boulder, Colorado. I'll spend a bit of time talking about Arlington first. So Arlington, Virginia is the first place in Virginia to use ranked choice voting for their local elections under a local option law that passed in Virginia in early 2020. So they they sort of took the plunge. Everyone in Virginia, all the other cities and counties that could adopt ranked choice voting were watching it pretty closely. And there, the one really big thing is that they were using proportional ranked choice voting. So the first implementation in Virginia is a proportional ranked choice voting election being used to elect two people at once. That's really interesting just because that's, you know, it's it's groundbreaking in a lot of ways. Overall, I th- the implementation, it w- happened this summer. It was the June primary that they used proportional RCV. So it was essentially used to select the two candidates from the Democratic Party for the governing board for the county's legislative body. And I mean, from all 
uh, appearances, everyone was really happy with the implementation. Gretchen Reinmeier, who ran the election for the county, is a pro and just ran a really effective and clean implementation. The other things to know about that election are, one, it, it was interesting seeing it's a proportional ranked choice voting election. That means everybody has one vote, but there's multiple seats getting filled at once, or in this case, multiple nominations being doled out. And so that led to some concern when people realized like, oh, in previous versions of this election, I had two votes. Now I only have one. So there were, there were some stories about that and about people's understanding and comfort with that. I think it's interesting to see because a proportional representation system requires that everyone only has one vote to cast. That's how the system becomes proportional. But most voters in the US are used to having multiple votes if they're electing multiple seats. So I think that's going to continue to be a thing that we see as as a reaction to proportional ranked choice voting in the US. And the other thing is that the Arlington County Board actually opted not to use ranked choice voting again in the fall. They essentially said that they wanted to sort of take a step back and review how everything went. From my perspective, everything went really well in the summer. They just were nervous about using it in the fall. But they're voting again in a week on the 16th of December, which is a Saturday, to re-adopt ranked choice voting and permanently adopt ranked choice voting for use going forward in Arlington County. So that would start up again next year. So that's Arlington. That's what happened there. One other thing to note for Arlington is they used our RCTAB software for tabulation. Yeah. How did I forget? <laughs> I, know, I know. I was thinking, I was like, he just forgot to, to add that. But you know, I think the exciting thing about that is now it's it's being used in more and more locations, Utah, New York City, now in Virginia, some other places. And as we're seeing those uses increase, we're also doing a lot of improvements to the software itself. Hopefully, Matt can come back on again soon and tell us a little bit more about how RCTAB's growing better and better by the day. So exciting work in Arlington. So Boulder also had a new implementation this year, and they did something new and innovative also. Boulder's interesting one. So they're they're also implementing it under a local option law. There's a law that passed almost, I think, more than 15 years ago now in Colorado that permits any city or county to uh, adopt ranked choice voting to use it locally. And Boulder actually just updated their charter two years ago to adopt ranked choice voting, partly as part of that local option program. This is going to in the weeds, but there were a bunch of other laws that had to change at the state level to enable counties to run ranked choice voting elections just to sort of like clear out the the tumbleweeds in the elections code to make space for ranked choice voting. Um, but all of that sort of got, was get, getting sorted out the last couple of years and Boulder finally got to implement this fall 2023. And so I'll start with, I'm going to bury the lead, but this was their first ever election where they were separately electing their mayor. It used to be a member of council was sort of nominated as the mayor, nor, normally known as a weak mayor system. This is a strong mayor system, a separately elected mayor who is not a member of the council, but is like a separate executive. Boulder also actually very briefly used proportional ranked choice voting early in the 20th century. They didn't keep it around for long, um, but this is sort of like a return to ranked choice voting for the city. And then finally, the really cool thing, at least for me and the people I know, is that Boulder ran the first ever risk-limiting audit, like a full risk-limiting audit of a government-run ranked choice voting election. So Boulder and the state of Colorado and some risk-limiting audit researchers out of Australia spent a lot of time in the last year or so building out some risk-limiting audit tools uh, to make them compatible with Boulder's ranked choice voting process. So that was very exciting that happened. They ran that audit 
just before Thanksgiving. Um, and things went really smoothly there as well. Look forward to talking with some of the folks from Boulder in a future episode about the RLA, how that went, how their election went. So stay tuned for that early in 2024. I'll just add to that Boulder overall followed a lot of the best practices that we've put out, that Fairboat has put out in the last few years on running franchise voting elections. They had a really clear and well-defined elections reporting timeline that they published before election day. They used RCVs to visualize their round-by-round results. They produced unofficial results uh, quickly and regularly after election day to show as more ballots were getting counted and processed how things were going in the ranked choice voting election alongside all their non-ranked choice voting elections like the elections for council. And they just had really, they had a really robust voter education campaign. They had pre-election webinars. They just did a great job of getting the word out to people and making ranked choice voting sort of as approachable and as understandable as possible for every voter in Boulder. Yeah, I think that's a key to a successful implementation is really people understand how to rank things in their everyday life, but making sure they understand that in the context of their election um, is critical to to the success. So I, I appreciate, you know, when we see jurisdictions doing a really great job educating voters, um, it really just benefits everyone. So there were a number of places across the U.S. that implemented RCV again this year that had another RCV election to repeat. We sort of broke it down into sections of the U.S., Let's start in the Southwest because we just have been to the Southwest with Arizona. <laughs> Who in the Southwest used RCV for a second or a third or fifth or a hundredth time? I don't think a hundredth. I don't think we have any hundredths. No hundredths yet. We're getting there with some places. So the two states in the Southwest on top of Colorado, if that counts as the Southwest, are Utah and New Mexico. So again, apparently we covered all the local option states first. Utah and New Mexico also both have local options. So cities in these places can adopt ranked choice voting just by passing like an ordinance or even a resolution through their council to use ranked choice voting instead of a primary and a general or a general and a runoff. So in Utah, there were um, a dozen cities have ranked choice voting on the books. 10 of them had enough candidates to actually run ranked choice voting elections. That included places like Salt Lake City, which is the biggest city in Utah in Salt Lake County, uh, and Lehigh, which is in Uh, Utah County, Lehigh is the largest city in Utah County. And then the smaller places like Heber City in Wasatch County or Vineyard and Payson in Utah, Mill Creek and Midvale in Salt Lake. So you got a good variety of big cities, urbanized places, but also suburbs and smaller towns as well. So a little bit of everybody in Utah using RCV. I think the two Two big things to pull out here. One, Salt Lake County was using Dominion voting systems. These were also used in New Mexico. I'll talk a bit about that. They've been using Dominion the whole time. They also used a results reporting program platform called Enhanced Voting, who actually debuted ranked choice voting visualization on their platform this summer in Arlington and then got used again in Salt Lake County. So it's exciting to see other vendors in the space uh, instead of just RCVs uh, providing ranked choice voting visualization because it's clearly becoming more a part of what election administrators expect and want when they're going out for tools to run their election. So it's exciting to see places sort of continuing to grow that capacity. I think that's that's the big thing for Salt Lake County for me. Utah County and Wasatch both used RCTAB. So they use ESNS election systems and software equipment with RCTAB to run that round-by-round count. And then they also use RCVIS uh, to visualize their results. And that's the same. That's 
what they've done the last two cycles in 2019 and in 2021. So I think they've found a pretty solid rhythm there. You know, they're happy with how things are going. And Salt Lake County wanted to to try out enhanced voting and see how that worked for them. So that was it's exciting to see places both sort of finding a groove, Utah County, Wasatch, and places that want to continue innovating like Salt Lake County. Absolutely. It, it, it's great to see RC Tab being used too. Again, in that situation. It remind me of the statistic. It's the smallest town with the smallest number of voters that has used RC Tab and it's in Utah, right? Newton, Utah, 794 population. Fantastic. I always love to give that, you know, and say, oh, juxtapose beside the fact that New York City used it um, for millions of voters. And then we have this little small town also able to use this very versatile piece of software that can create accessibility for all jurisdictions to be able to implement ranked choice voting. Let's move on to New England. Uh, There were several implementations in New England, some of which have been going on for a while. So what's going on there? Yeah, Arden. So Arden, Delaware and Cambridge, Massachusetts are two sort of long time proportional ranked choice voting uses. They adopted it. I mean, Arden adopted it a century ago and Cambridge adopted it about 80 years ago now. So they and they've been using it forever. I think Arden might actually be coming up on their 100th election soon. I would need to check my math on this, but they Arden uses Arden is a small Georgist tax colony. Google what a Georgist tax colony is. I could not sufficiently explain it right now if you ask me. But they are they're a community that has a used proportional ranked choice voting to elect what's known as their board of assessors, which is their governing body, since they became a town, since they came into existence. About they have 360 or so registered voters, 260, about 76% of people actually participated, or actually 74% of people participated in the election there this fall, and they actually hand count their proportional ranked choice voting elections. It's only 260, 270 ballots. So it's not a ton of paper to deal with. But you know, it's still worth noting, Cambridge, Massachusetts, similarly adopted proportional ranked choice voting, like I said, in the 1940s. So and they run elections every two years. So they're on their 42nd, 43rd iteration of a proportional ranked choice voting election this year. They use it for their city council and their school committee. That's the New England term for a school board. And like sometimes the most exciting thing is that they keep using it. And I think that's the case in both Arden and Cambridge this year. And then for our final part of New England, Portland, Maine used ranked choice voting yet again. This time, uh, the big competitive contest in Portland was their mayoral election. They had a number of city council seats up as well, but none of them had enough candidates for ranked choice voting. They all had two or fewer candidates, but Portland had I, bl- I want to say six candidates plus a write-in. And it's the first time we've ever seen, at least that I'm aware of, first li- time I've ever seen someone run like a serious named write-in campaign in a ranked choice voting election, which was really interesting. I personally very curious to see how that would play out in practice, just because processing and adjudicating write-ins takes a lot of time, whether it's ranked choice voting or plurality. But unfortunately, George Ralt, this man, did come in very last. So we didn't have to, we didn't see much of the the write-in process play out. Mark Dion, who is a former state legislature in the Maine state legislature, uh, wound up winning the the mayoral contest there in Portland instead. Interesting. I did have to Google Georgism to give a little bit of information to our audience. This is what Wikipedia has to say. Georgism is also called modern times geoism and known historically as the single tax movement, an economic ideology holding that. This is a lot of words that guys, I'm sorry, but I feel like everybody needs to hear this. Although people should own the value that they produce themselves, the economic rent derived from the land, 
including natural resources, the commons and urban locations should belong equally to members of society. So listeners go out and do your research, learn a little more about that. But um, just wanted to share a little about with what Wikipedia says that is. So moving on to our next part of the of the U.S., uh, the Midwest, we have Minnesota. They had several things going on. So there was some use there. There was a, an attempt to repeal there. What happened in Minnesota this year? Yeah, I'll start with the attempted repeal. So Minnetonka, Minnesota is a suburb of Minneapolis, and they adopted ranked choice voting, I want to say in 2021, and they used it for the first time in 2021. And so this was this year was their second time using it. All four of their council, their ward seats were up, but there was also a repeal measure on the ballot. People were trying to get ranked choice voting repealed in Minnetonka at the same time that voters were using it for the second time. That repeal did wind up losing. 59% of people voted to keep ranked choice voting. So that actually was an increase over the share of people who voted to adopt it originally. Um, so that was, that was like an, an, I think, an exciting thing for people in Minnesota to see that they not just like defeated a repeal, but they showed an improvement in support for ranked choice voting. And, you know, aside from that, people were still voting in a ranked choice voting contest. Three of the four wards had multiple candidates running in all of those. And many of those contests went to rounds of counting. Then there's a few other places in Minnesota still using ranked choice voting as well, right? There's Bloomington and St. Louis Park, which are also suburbs of Minneapolis. They all had uh, St. Louis Park had their a mayoral contest have multiple candidates. Bloomington had a few contests as well. And then the two big cities, the Twin Cities, as they're known, Minneapolis and St. Paul also had uh, some ranked choice voting contests this year. Minneapolis was interesting because they normally would have only held their next election in 2025, but they just redistricted. They just redrew all their district boundaries. So the council, no other seats, but the council was up for re-election because they had these new district lines. And eight of the 13 seats on the council were up. Three of those, or sorry, eight of the 13 seats had three or more candidates. So we're actually using ranked choice voting. And um, some of them were pretty competitive. The uh, council president, Andrea Jenkins, had like four competitors and wound up winning her race in the last round of counting, uh, just a 50.5% to 49.5%. It was a pretty tight race at the end of the day there. So that's sort of the high-level overview. Again, a lot of places sort of having found this groove, having found a way they like to run ranked choice voting elections and just keeping that going, maybe making some minor improvements to the process, getting a little faster at the counting, especially in Minnesota where they're using, um, they're ha- they have to do a sort of spreadsheet-assisted hand count method but they're all getting results out within a day or two or three of election day. I find it really interesting. It seems clear to me in looking when I look at the statistics, when I look at the races that happened in Minnesota, people are using this and people are running for office, it feels like, because they know there's a ranked choice voting system. Now, I know that's that is not a scientific fact. I don't want to be um, misrepresent that on RCB clips. But, you know, just to, to see that they repeal um, attempt was was really soundly defeated, uh, really shows a lot about what the people in Minnesota want to have for their elections. So glad to hear that for sure. So a lot going on in Minnesota this year with four or five, five places. Yeah, so five places using ranked choice voting. 
What happened in New York City? It seemed kind of quiet. We didn't hear a whole lot of information coming out of there about RCV. Not like we did in 21. We were helping them with tabulation. And we spent a lot of time working on that. I'm sure you remember that, Chris. I certainly do. <laughs> and, and I know this is a audio media, but you can see Chris's eyes kind of widen when I talk about that. But what happened in New York City this year? So New York had like Minneapolis had elections this summer just for their city council. And similar to Minneapolis, they did that because they redistricted. They had redrawn all their lines uh, after the 2020 census. And they have a provision in their charter that requires them to hold elections after those lines are redrawn. So that's why we had this summer primary and then the general election just about a month ago in New York City. And like you were saying, you know, it was compared to 2021, it was definitely not uh, it was a sleepy election season in the city. The far fewer candidates running. There was no big citywide contest like the mayor up. It was just council. And there were, uh, from what I've heard, really only a few, uh, three really competitive um, contests in the primary. I'm going to talk about just two of them. One of them was in the Bronx, actually in a, the Republican primary in the Bronx uh, was a really competitive election and Christy Marmorado won the nomination from both the, both the Republican primary and in the conservative party primary. Uh, so she was endorsed by both of those parties going into the general election. And then she actually wound up winning the general election. So she's the first Republican elected to represent the Bronx in the city council in 50 years, which is pretty remarkable. So I think that's a really interesting thing to pull out here. The other thing to mention is that District 9 in Harlem uh, had a really competitive race as well. And it's interesting there because District 9 in 2021 was super competitive too. Christian Richardson Jordan ran uh, and defeated the incumbent there in 2021. But that race was so close, it actually went to a full hand recount. The result uh, stayed the same, but it was really, really close. And then again, this year, we had a really uh, competitive election. Kristen Richardson, Jordan actually uh, stepped down just before the primary. So it was actually a vacant seat. And Yusuf Salam wound up winning the Democratic primary, uh, and then going on to win the general election, too. So it's interesting that, you know, the what was a competitive election in 2021 remained competitive in 2023. Yeah, and, and I think that really highlights the benefit of the RCV use in those areas. So you mentioned recounts, and I think there there were a couple other recounts across the nation, too, with RCV contests. Where did those take place? So Minnetonka actually uh, had their Ward 3 race recounted. Uh, that happened earlier this month. And then this week, actually, uh, I don't know the full set of, of cities in Utah, but there's a few contests in Utah that are getting recounted as well because of Utah's ranked choice voting recount law. Uh, so we'll obviously have to be making an update to the RCVRC's recounts report because we've got a few more recounts coming down the pike this year and last year in Alaska. Absolutely. And and that's kind of the cool thing about our reports is every year we can add information. We can share more about what's happening in practice in the real world. If you haven't taken a look at our reports, you should go out there to our website. And I believe it's www.rcvresources.org backslash reports. I think it's actually that simple. Um, but if you can't find it that way, you can go under tools and you'll see the RCV reports are there covering all kinds of things from audits to best practice ballot design to recounts. Take a look at those. I always like to plug our resources a little bit. There were some wins also this year. 
with ranked choice voting. And and I know um, the morning after election day this year, I woke up to a million text messages from all my ranked choice voting message groups and from WhatsApp and from the the Twitter message group and the, you know, all different kinds of messages, email chains, because everybody was really excited. So what happened? Who won? Where did RCV win? A number of places. So three cities in Michigan uh, adopted ranked choice voting this fall. That's Kalamazoo, East Lansing, and Royal Oak. And then a few others actually adopted it earlier this year, Redondo Beach, California, and Burlington, Vermont. Redondo Beach adopted it for council elections. And then Burlington had already been using ranked choice voting for council and then expanded it to mayor. And I think the one last thing that's really interesting is East Hampton, Massachusetts, um, who longtime listeners of this podcast may be familiar with because we had Tom Peake, a city councilor from East Hampton on a long time ago now, I want to say four years ago on to talk about his work in East Hampton to get ranked choice voting. They've now adopted proportional ranked choice voting too. They have some single seat contests, they have some multi-seat contests. And so they've adopted proportional ranked choice voting to actually use it in those multi-seat contests, which Tom said he wanted to do on that podcast. So it's exciting to see that come to fruition a few years later. It sure is. And if you're interested in listening to our archived episodes of RCV Clips, anywhere that you listen to podcasts or out on our website, you can easily find those. Just want to mention something interesting to me about California. Um, you, you said you mentioned Redondo Beach had passed uh, ranked choice voting. In California, every city or town does not have the option to pass ranked choice voting. Can you explain a little bit about what that looks like in California and why some cities can do it and some cities can't? Yeah. So this is sort of, it depends by state exactly how this is all structured, but every state has something called charter cities and charter counties. Charter cities are places that are self-governing that can sort of adopt most rules, election laws, tax laws, other things like that, that allow them to define, well, within the bounds of our city, here's how we'll run things. Uh, And they're generally, but not 100% free of like state regulation. There's still places where the state probably can step in and say, hey, we want to set standards here, but cities still have a lot of latitude in that way. County charters work similarly. Charters will, or counties will be empowered to adopt certain types of laws. I think the thing that's complicated and like there's entire law school courses about local governance and how this structure works is that the specific set of things the like areas in which cities and counties with charters or without charters can legislate is very state dependent and sometimes is really explicit in law. Like the state will say, you cities aren't allowed to define their own election methods. Others, it's the state has so thoroughly occupied the field. They've done so much election regulation that in practice, there's no room to move for cities and counties. You know, these, these are all aspects that can impact whether a charter city can even adopt ranked choice voting, setting aside the fact that there's another set of jurisdiction type, which is a non-charter city or a non-charter county. It's counties that and cities that are only allowed to do what the state expressly permits. What the, the state will say, elections have to be held this way. Cities have to do that. They can't make any changes. They have no power locally to make changes to that process. So that's generally how to think about it. Great. Thanks for that information. Um, and. and- Talking about legislation and those kinds of things leads us really nicely into talking about legislative session in 2023. What are some of the key takeaways with regard to ranked choice voting that you saw that our policy department looked at? 
Yeah. So we know of 113 ranked choice voting bills that were in legislatures this year. That's actually thanks to uh, Ballotpedia's newly launched ranked choice voting uh, page. I highly recommend it. We'll throw it in the show notes for everybody. It's a super useful resource for getting information about where where ranked choice voting ballot measures happening. Where are ranked choice voting bills getting introduced? What Where are they at in the process? Are they dead? Are they alive? Did they get passed? What's happening? So I've got a couple little categories here for how to think about it. I'm not going to talk about all the bills that went nowhere. I'm just going to talk about the bills that passed or came pretty close. So there's related to the conversation Kelly and I were just having about city and county self-governing and how much power these localities have. There's a number of places, especially in the Northeast, but uh, sort of throughout the country where even if a city can sort of adopt charter amendments or can a county can change its charter, they still need state legislative approval. That's very typical in New England. So Burlington, for example, voted to pass the voters. They voted to add ranked choice voting for them, right? Oral contests, but they had to have the state legislature actually approve that change to their charter. That happened earlier this year. So Burlington is sort of fully permitted to use ranked choice voting for council and mayoral contests. Massachusetts is in a similar situation. There's a a ton of cities there now that have adopted ranked choice voting. Lexington and Concord, for example, may be familiar to listeners, uh, Americans. Amherst, Massachusetts, a number of other cities have adopted ranked choice voting, but they're still waiting to get legislative approval to actually implement ranked choice voting and move that forward there. And then California as well, this is interesting, Santa Clara County received permission from the state legislature as well to adopt ranked choice voting locally for county elections. And it's it's funny, I was scrolling through that uh, the Ballotpedia resource I mentioned, and Santa Clara has actually tried to get ranked choice voting a number of times. They actually passed uh, an ordinance in the late 90s, uh, but weren't able to implement it because they needed to change their charter. As far as I understand, they tried again in the mid 2000s, and then finally uh, got this legislative approval uh, earlier this year. So they'll they'll now get to actually move to ranked choice voting there. Uh, um, one other sort of technical thing, Utah uh, passed an update to their pilot project. The the reason those those cities that I was talking about earlier in Utah can use ranked choice voting is they have this local option pilot project and they passed a bill earlier this year, just sort of tightening up some of the legal language, clarifying some requirements. And that's I think that's a sign of like the process working, right? You do a pilot project to see what makes sense in the law, what could be improved, where are places where as we're going through this process, we realize, oh, we should improve this part of election law generally it would make it easier to do ranked choice voting. I think that's just a sign of you know, running a thing, getting feedback, incorporating that feedback. Then uh, two other states, Illinois and Rhode Island, both actually passed study committees for ranked choice voting. So they're running through those right now. I'm not entirely sure we'll, when we'll get reports from those committees, but they're looking at, you know, what would it take to run ranked choice voting in our states? And then finally, a bit of a bummer note to end on here, but I think it's really worth noting is that some states did begin banning ranked choice voting. Um, That's three states actually banned it, Idaho, Montana, and South Dakota. Not a lot more to say other than the fact that that has happened. I think folks who live in those states are still trying to find ways to either change that law or maybe they can adopt it locally if it's even if it's banned, you know, for use in state level elections. That all depends on the exact text of these bans. And then two other states actually passed bans through the legislature 
through both houses, but then those were vetoed by governors. And what's interesting is that they this happened in two states, one red and one blue. Well, run one red and one purple, let's say. North Dakota is a red state, a red trifecta, where a Republican governor still vetoed this ranked choice voting ban. So ranked choice voting is still like totally legal in North Dakota. And then Arizona also passed a ranked choice voting ban through their legislature. And then the Democratic governor there, Katie Hobbs, also vetoed that ban. So it's an interesting thing to see places banning it, but also red and purple states passing it, but then having it vetoed by the governor. Yeah, I find that really interesting, too, because none of those are states that actually have ranked choice voting already. So they're, you know, they're preemptively banning something. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting how all of that plays out and if some of those bills actually end up getting overturned. So what is coming? I know there's a lot of things that are going to happen over the next couple of years in ranked choice voting implementation. What are some of the things that are coming in the future? Where do you see this all going? Yeah. So there's a couple big things that I'll highlight. And there's plenty more that could be on the radar that we don't yet or on the horizon that we don't yet know about. But next year, we know for sure Portland, Oregon will be holding their first ranked choice voting election. They'll be electing their mayor and their auditor with single winner ranked choice voting and their council with proportional ranked choice voting. And that will be really exciting. They'll be the second, uh, actually technically the third jurisdiction in Oregon to implement RCV after Benton County and Corvallis, which is the largest city in Benton County. They'll be using proportional RCV for their city council, which is really interesting. And they've sort of overhauled their entire government. And then Eureka, California as well, adopted a ranked choice voting a few years ago and should finally be able to implement ranked choice voting next fall. We're still figuring out some details there with voting systems approval and working with the county and to make sure everything is in place, but that should be happening next year. And then As far as actual adoptions, both Nevada and Oregon have statewide ballot measures on the ballot next fall. Nevada is actually voting on ranked choice voting for the second time. They're uh, doing a top four primary, so similar to Alaska, where everybody runs against everybody else. Voters get one vote. Alaska called it a pick one primary to tell voters what they were supposed to be doing. And then four people from that primary go to the general election and that general election because there's multiple candidates, is decided using ranked choice voting. So if it passes next year, that will become the law, actually will become part of the constitution in Nevada. And then Oregon has a ballot measure next fall as well to adopt ranked choice voting for statewide elective offices, so offices like governor and secretary of state, and to also provide a local option so cities and counties can more easily adopt ranked choice voting if they so choose in Oregon. I think it's going to be interesting. And I know our staff is certainly you know, looking to Portland as they implement STV on a larger scale and you know, being involved there, how that implementation will look. And, and we're really excited about that to, to see this in, you know, play out in action in a large city. So looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, no, I'm excited. And I mean, it's great. We're, we've gotten the chance to work with Multnomah County, who's going to be running the election for Portland a bit on as they put together the whole administrative state behind this, as they get all their ducks in a row to be prepared for any aspect of the ranked choice voting process. And it's been great working with them just because they're like very good at their jobs. And we just have to be like, yes, your instincts are correct. You are pointing in the right direction. <laughs> and they're, they're just doing a great job of navigating what is a pretty complex implementation process. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we really believe that when RCV does have a win in a location, a jurisdiction, 
that first implementation in particular is incredibly important um, because you want people to have trust in the system. You want people to see something well implemented right out of the gate. So we, you know, we're excited to be involved as early as we can and, and work in these places that are adopting ranked choice voting um, right now. And, you know, there's one thing that allows us to continue to do that work. So, Kelly, tell me a bit about, I mean, we, we don't just do policy work, right? We love policy work, but we need money to get our policy work done. So can you talk a bit about the fundraising we've been doing this year and what you're looking forward to doing next year? Absolutely. And you're right. As we expand the ranked choice voting jurisdictions across the country, it means that our staff needs to provide more and more resources, more and more help for these um, jurisdictions. And that actually costs money. As we know, Uh, we do a lot of travel. We try to meet people on the ground where they are. So we really have a robust and strong development program. Uh, We have some foundation funding. We have a really great small donor program. By the way, if you would be interested in making a small donation to Rangers Voting Resource Center here at the end of the year, feel free to go to our website to do that. There's a big red button that says donate right on the website and listen all the way through the outro and we'll give you the web address for that. But really what we want want to focus on moving into the new year are really two things. One, I've already talked about in our last little discussion about um, how we're helping other jurisdictions, but really connecting on the funding side, how important the campaigns are for ranked choice voting election and the first implementation are, because if we don't fund our first implementation, if we don't do things to line up these, these, these folks for success, then it puts the entire reform at risk. And so we're really looking at, you know, how do we draw the parallels and build the bridges to, to help people understand the importance of that, of funding those first implementations, um, both, both at the, you know, the legislative, at the level of the state, but also at the level of our nonprofit where we can provide these resources um, for little or no cost to, to jurisdictions. Our focus moving into next year is really to grow our major donor and mid-level donor programs. You know, those kind of sustaining donors who can give in the $10,000 or $25,000 range can really allow us to do some bigger things. Um, you know, we need to grow our staff capacity. Uh, we're working on that and we're, we're continuing to grow every year. Um, we also need to be able to travel to meet these folks. Uh, we need to be able to produce resources, reports, research, those kinds of things that will help uh, uh, best practices come to light. We really, really want to help everyone understand that all implementations matter and that in order for us to provide the back-end support that we need to provide to make sure that they're done successfully, we have to raise the funds. So we're really excited moving into the new year. We've expanded our board. We've, we're expanding our staff. We have you know a couple of, a couple of us on the development team, and um, we're working really hard to make sure this excellent work can continue. All right, Chris, it looks like we're out of time. Um, always a pleasure for both of us to be on the podcast and um, hope that this information is helpful and folks will you know, take it forth into the world and keep spreading the word about RCV implementation and fundraising also. And now for this month's final round, where we share an interesting bit of trivia, a useful tidbit, or just something we thought was cool for folks to know about ranked choice voting. Here's Sam Prescott with this month's final round. Did you know that in 2023, over a third of all ranked choice votes cast in America were counted using RCVRC's in-house tabulation software, RCTAB? Of the nearly 419,000 RCV votes cast this year, over 156,000 were tabulated by RCTAB. 
This exciting expansion of RC Tab makes it this month's final round. Thank you for joining us today for our December 2023 RCV Clips episode produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to the show for the latest episodes and updates and take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about RCVRC and Ranked Choice Voting, check out our website at www.rcvresources.org. The production of this podcast is supported by the generosity of our donors. Donations can be made directly on the website. Please don't hesitate to contact us with any donation question at donate at rcvresources.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rcvresources, Facebook and LinkedIn at Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, and subscribe to our YouTube channel at rcvrc. If you have a few minutes, fill out the listener survey linked in the show notes for this episode. The survey is short and it will only take a few minutes of your time. We would love to hear your feedback and your ideas. Thank you. Our theme music today is Flutterby by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Kelly on behalf of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.